Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. And we're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Josh Stein, the North Carolina Attorney General, on his second uh, term of holding down that position for the state of North Carolina. Uh, uh, Mr. Attorney General, probably one of the things that we didn't talk about too much are some of the other duties and responsibilities of the Attorney General's office. We know about uh, uh, the settlements that you're working on with opioid and the e-cigarettes and, of course, the various scams and so forth. But just to have a sort of an overview of your main responsibilities and, and what you're charged with uh, at the Attorney General's office uh, as your duties for the state of North Carolina. Happy to, Don. The, the office has a, a broad array of responsibilities, but it's all uh, around the theme of protecting people. And we do it in a lot of different ways. Uh, probably the most commonly understood way is our the role we play in the criminal justice system. We protect families from crime by prosecuting certain crimes. When local district attorneys refer cases to us, we handle every criminal appeal in the state. I operate the North Carolina Justice Academy, which is where law enforcement's trained. We have the state crime lab, which analyzes crime scene evidence, uses, it could be DNA, it could be drug chemistry analysis, it could be bullets, you know, whatever the case may be. And we participate in important criminal justice debate issues, such as the opioid crisis, figuring out ways to tackle this because it's filling up our jails with people uh, with addiction. And we've talked a lot about that already, uh, but also things like criminal justice reform. Uh, the governor asked me to co-chair the task force for racial equity and criminal justice. And uh, I've been doing that with Justice Anita Earls and 23 other people. And we've been working to come up with ideas. There's some 125 separate recommendations we've made to make our criminal justice system better and fair. And, and we're working now to implement those ideas. Things like sexual assault kits, which we can talk about shortly. So that's a lot of criminal justice stuff. Then we do consumer protection. And we've talked about the scam fighting that we do and consumer education, going after companies that are bad actors and try to take advantage of people, deceive people, trick them, treat them unfairly, we'll hold them accountable and make them pay reimbursements to, you know, to the people they've wronged. We protect natural resources, the air we breathe and water we drink. I've got a, a big case that's underway right now against DuPont and Camours, the, the chemical companies. They have a factory outside of Fayetteville called the Fayetteville Works that produces a chemical called Gen X, a, a forever chemical that they've been putting in the Cape Fear River and into people's neighboring people's groundwater. And I, I'm holding, I take them, took them to court to hold them accountable. I, I firmly believe that when polluters pollute, they should be the ones to pay to clean up the pollution, not you and me. So making sure our air and our water are clean is, is an important part of what we do. And we also protect people's fundamental rights, making sure that they have the right to vote here in our democracy. So you can see that the uh, range of activities are, are very broad, but it really is about serving and protecting the people of our state. One of the cases you're involved here right now involves uh, Google and an antitrust matter. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's, that's an example that falls under our, our consumer protection and antitrust work. What are antitrust laws do is protect you and me as consumers. Uh, because if a company is a monopoly, meaning that they're the dominant player in some industry, then there's no one competing against them to keep prices down. And there's no one competing against them to make sure that the services 
serve our interest and are, are what we want them to be. That's why for something like Duke Energy, which is a monopoly when it comes to providing our electricity, it's regulated by the government to make sure that its rates aren't too high and don't take advantage of us. Well, Google has achieved a monopoly in a couple of different ways. They're the, the dominant search engine and on their uh, on the um, Android phones, the Google operating system is the only one that operates. And they've got this in-app payment store, uh, in-app store where you download all the apps and they force you, if you use that in-app store, to use their Google payment processor, which charges 30% to process a payment of any in-app purchase, meaning any payment you make for the uh, app or within that app, using the app, any future payments you make. And that just means we're paying a lot more than we should. A basic payment processor, like a credit card, usually charges two or 3%. They're charging 30%. And as a result, that's money out of our pockets that we shouldn't have to pay. And it's really hurting the app developers because they are losing out on some revenue that should be theirs, not Google's, and there's less innovation. And when there's less innovation, less innovators, that means that you and I as customers are missing out on that as well. So that's why I brought this case against Google. Are other uh, states joining with you oh, in this? Definitely. In, in that case, there's some 37 states. Uh, and again, this is all bipartisan stuff. You know, we live in very par partisan times where Democrats and Republicans seemingly have a tough time agreeing on anything. But attorneys general are actually of elected officials among the best at, at working together, collaborating, because if there's a problem in my state against Purdue Pharma, the opioid manufacturer, or against Google, um, it's also going to hurt a person in Tennessee, and it's going to hurt a person in Nebraska, and it's going to hurt a person in California. And so whether the AG is a Democrat or Republican in these states, we end up working together a lot on these big cases. Well, you know, state lines are sort of interesting things because uh, uh, weather emergencies don't stop at state lines and neither do scammers. I mean, and uh, I suspect very often you have to work with uh, an attorney general in another state when someone in Texas is running a scam that is uh, affecting people in North Carolina. No, no question at all. And we do, we also partner with our, our federal um, uh, partners as well. So for instance, that I told you about that robocall case I've got, it's actually in Texas, like you said, and there are a few states that are in it with me, but so is the Federal Trade Commission. And they are working with us on that same case. And in the case, one of my two cases against Google, the U.S. Department of Justice has filed a very similar case, and we are partnering with them on that as well. So it, people don't always know that government can actually function and work together, but we can work together both across party lines among states, but also between states and the federal government, too. I have a good friend who's an attorney, and he has a statement that says a case never tried is a case never lost. So I suspect that... Uh, one of the problems that you have in these antitrust cases is the uh, the uh, defense actually just likes to delay and put off because if it's not tried, they can't lose. And, and these cases are, are tough. I mean, I don't want to pretend they're not because when you look at the antitrust law, it was created over 100 years ago and it was to deal with all the 
the trusts and monopolies we had and, and oil and gas and then railroads. Well, big tech is just a, a, it's a different beast. And the laws don't always, even though they apply, they don't always apply really neatly because the case law has been developed over years, really contemplating things that you can touch and feel. And uh, it makes it challenging. You know, we brought a case against Facebook and the court uh, said they dismissed it. And so now we're revisiting. Uh, we're going to appeal that. And if necessary, we'll, we will refile it. But it just goes to show what you said, that you don't always win the, the case that you bring, but you're never going to win a case if you don't bring it. And when I see people being hurt, uh, I'm going to step up, e even if it risks uh, a loss. I suspect that uh, uh, when before, and of course, you have some history with the attorney general's office before you became attorney general. But back when you were in college, I, I doubt very seriously that you had the the uh, the the understanding of the depth and breadth of the problems that you're facing now. So how did you get interested in this kind of work? I was I was born to my parents. It's pretty simple. I grew up here in North Carolina. My family moved to Charlotte right after I was born, where we lived for five years. And my dad formed, along with Julius Chambers and James Ferguson, North Carolina's first integrated law firm. And they, this is in the mid-60s, they did all these big cases on school desegregation, employment non-discrimination, uh, voting rights, public access to uh, facilities. And it was not... <laughs> It was not always easy. They certainly were not always popular. Uh, you know, their offices were firebombed and um, we used to get, my mom would get threatening calls at night. And um, so I was just raised that what you do is whatever your interests and talents are, you find out what that is, and then you apply them in a way to try to make things better for more people, get help, try to help people have more opportunity to achieve whatever it is that they want for their own so in their own lives. And that's what's driven me. And that that's why, how I ended up here as attorney general. If you had uh, the ability to write laws that have not been introduced yet, have not been uh, uh, considered yet, what, what kind of changes would you make to the way that our governments operate and uh, what kind of additional assistance do you need from the law to, to, bring about the kind of changes that you're talking about? Well, I mean, there, there are a lot. There, there are big changes and there are little changes uh, on health care. One of the biggest drivers of health care inflation and costs have to do with um, health system hospitals merging, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because the bigger hospital systems get, on average, the more expensive the services are and the lower quality they are. It's actually counter to our interests. Well, I think the laws could be stronger in giving me better authority to review those transactions, to make sure that instead of, um, to, to make sure that when these transactions happen, it's actually in the consumer's interest and not in the health system's interest. So that's one example. I think there could be better and stronger laws to protect our privacy. You know, so much of our lives are online now and I think that all that information about you and me should belong to you and me. It shouldn't belong to the big tech companies, which can then exploit it to their advantage. And they may not have the same interests about preserving our privacy as you and I do. 
And so I think those laws can be improved. Um, there's a lot of things we can do to make uh, make our state operate in a, a um, or just to have more opportunity for people to really thrive and succeed. Well, you know, that's, uh, uh, I've often said, you know, the very best form of government would be a, a benevolent dictatorship, but unfortunately those don't work out very well for very long because- uh, They may uh, be benevolent for a little bit, but not very long. No, uh, there've been a couple of times where it looked like it might uh, work out, but it usually power corrupts and, and that's uh, something we've dealt with for years. I'm often uh, reminded of Winston Churchill's statement about Americans. He said, you know, Americans usually get it right, but it's usually after they've tried all the wrong uh, methods first. <laughs> they, they try all the wrong decisions before they get to the right ones. But uh, I guess that's just the way our government is, is functioning. Uh, well, uh, so uh, basically the antitrust actions uh, well, how long will that uh, Google uh, action take before it does reach some sort of a uh, court case? Yeah, I mean, we're, we filed it. Um, they responded doing a motion to dismiss. These cases can take a long time to resolve. The last massive state antitrust action was against Microsoft in the late 90s. And, and you know, it took years. The, the, the companies are monopolies, meaning they are huge and they have vast amounts of resources. But when the states partner together and uh, partner with the federal government, we we can uh, fight back. And that's what we're going to do. And I hope it doesn't take forever, but if uh, I'll fight it as long as it, as it takes. Our guest is uh, Attorney General Josh Stein, and we'll be back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers after we take time out for this break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about legislation that uh, is either being considered by the Congress or by the General Assembly and what that might uh, do to us here as citizens of the state of North Carolina. And we'll do that right after these messages. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with... Uh, 
Attorney General Josh Stein. We talked about all sorts of things. In the first segment, we talked about the opioid settlement and the e-cigarette situation. Uh, we talked about the uh, various COVID-19 vaccine scams that are going around. And we've talked about some antitrust actions that the, gov- that the Attorney General's office are working with. We didn't touch on the flooding in Western North Carolina because every time we have any kind of a weather emergency, there always seems like there's uh, some scamming going on and some situations that involve your office. I hope there are not many this time. We haven't heard of any yet, but the uh, anti-price gouging law of North Carolina is now in effect. It's triggered whenever a state of emergency is declared by the governor. And of course, those folks out there are really, really struggling. I, I was uh, texting with a, f- a friend of mine in Waynesville today and his daughter's house got totally flooded and nobody was injured. Thank, thank goodness. But there's a lot of people struggling. And what we were saying earlier, sadly, there are people who prey on people's desperation. And we want folks to know that if they see any price gouging to immediately let our office know so we can bring an action. We, do, we just brought an action. If, if you remember when we had that little gas crisis because the pipeline got shut down, there was a gas station in Durham that almost doubled their prices. I think it was 60% or something like that price increase when their costs had not gone up at all. And they still had the gas in the tank and in the big tank underneath uh, the pumps. And so we just took them to court last week for violating our price gouging law that was in effect then. I'm going to change the subject a little bit. We've got the Congress, of course, is in, in session, and so is the North Carolina General Assembly. Any particular bits of legislation at uh, on either the federal level or the state level that uh, uh, you're watching and uh, that will concern what you do as Attorney General? Yeah, there, there are. there's a lot going on both in Congress and at the General Assembly. I'll, I'll start here in North Carolina first. That Something that's really positive, it's a, a bill that's been pushed by Senator Danny Britt, um, and it's, it's called SB 300. It's a criminal justice reform bill, and it's about having better training for officers and more accountability when the officer does things it shouldn't. It uses excessive force. Um, there's a duty when one officer sees another officer engaged in excessive use of force to, re- to report that to a supervisor. We want to have a, a database of officers that have um, suspensions and decertifications so that they can't go from one agency to the next. That's called the wandering officer problem, where they just take their problems with them. And there are a number of other provisions. And that bill um, just passed the House 100 to 2. So this is another good example of bipartisanship. And it's already passed the Senate, so I'm very confident that will become law. The governor is fully on board with it. Uh, Another bill that I'm really happy about, and it's kind of shocking that it was even necessary, but we we were one of two states in the entire country that permitted 14-year-olds to get married, which is, is just awful. And we became a destination for sex trafficking where people would come with a 14 year old and they were an adult, and then they would essentially get married to legalize what is an illegal relationship. And the state is finally revisiting that. And uh, I'm really grateful for the legislature moving that forward. Um, There are a couple other bills there that uh, I'm watching with interest and slightly some slight concern. Uh, One is an, an energy bill that would take away from the Public Utility Commission existing authority it has in order to make 
determinations about what is the best and lowest cost source of energy. Uh, and it would strip them of that authority and give it essentially to Duke Energy. And I just think it's a, it's a bad move and it doesn't have enough uh, renewables component to the bill either. And we have got to start the important work of transitioning towards renewable energy and increasing the amount of power we get from solar and from wind, um, because we are seeing the effects of the climate crisis in real time. I mean, these forest fires that are raging, the, the storms, um, the extreme heat, uh, this is the climate crisis happening today. This isn't some future problem. It's a current problem. Um, there's another bill that the legislature is moving that would strip from sheriffs their ability to do background checks for pistol permits. And where what I think is adults should be able to go buy a gun, but we don't want dangerous people buying guns. We don't want felons. We don't want domestic abusers and other dangerous people getting guns. And there are loopholes in the background checks where if you get it from a private purchaser at a gun show, the federal system doesn't apply. And the sheriff's doing the background check on, on these pistols has been a good source of protection to reduce crime. And Missouri actually passed a law very similar to what is being considered at the General Assembly. And murders and suicides by gun went up measurably afterwards. And there's too much violent crime. We need to keep people safe, keep people, keep the community safe. Um, so these are a number of the bills that are happening in the legislature. The biggest bill, of course, is the budget. And there's a lot of money at stake, but there are also a lot of policy positions in it. Um, one thing that's positive that's in the budget, and it's in the governor's version, it's in the House version and the Senate version. So this is good because it means it's exceptionally likely it'll be in the final version, is another $9 million to help us eliminate the backlog of untested sexual assault kits. When we started looking at this in 2017, we came to the sad realization North Carolina had more of these untested kits than any state in the entire United States, which is inexcusable because we owe it to victims. Particularly, these are victims who, after the attack, underwent an invasive medical examination to deliver evidence to the criminal justice system, and the criminal justice system failed them because they took the evidence, put it in a box, and it sat on a shelf in, the, in local law enforcement offices all across North Carolina, some 16,000. Well, we have been at this work for the last two or three years and making progress. Of these 16,000 kits, more than half have either been tested or are in the process of being tested. And of those tested, about 1,250 of them have a sample that you can upload into this CODIS database where you can say, okay, here's the, the DNA. Let's see if it matches to a person. Well, 45% of those 1,250 have matched to a person, which now means that some old cold case is in, has an incredibly hot lead. And we notify local law enforcement. And since we've been doing this, there's been 41 arrests related to at least 59 sexual assaults that have already been made. And these are dangerous people who make our communities less safe and taking them off the streets will help the public. And importantly, it brings justice to victims who suffered uh, a terrible trauma years and years ago. There's something that's in the budget that's really important for our work on sexual assault. The number of kits that are being submitted, I, what I was just talking about are the old kits, the ones that are in the backlog. They, they're 
you know, some of them are 30 years old. Well, of the current kits, those that happen kind of in real time, there are more and more of those kits being submitted to the crime lab for analysis, and we need more scientists so that another backlog doesn't develop. The House had five scientists. We need 12 scientists. The Senate had no scientists. So it is our sincere hope that for the safety of the public, that they give us the number of scientists we need so we can do the important work of the criminal justice system. What about on the federal level? There's actually, we were talking about antitrust and how our antitrust laws are really old and don't apply well to the new industries of big technology. And there are four or five bills that are moving in the House to address that issue. And it's my genuine hope that those bills pass out of the House and can attract the necessary number of votes in the Senate and become law. This infrastructure bill is really important. I was very pleased to see that the bipartisan uh, group of senators negotiated it, and a large number of um, Democrats and Republicans voted for it in the Senate. They've kicked it over to the House. Uh, I'm optimistic about its ultimate passage. <laughs> There's all kinds of crazy games being played between the House and the Senate about which bill to take up when. Uh, and I hope they don't screw it up. I don't think they will. I think they all realize this one's too important for the economic future of this country to have a, a strong infrastructure because uh, we need to have roads. We need to have railroad. We need to have uh, a modernized electric grid. We need to have broadband. These are all the things without which uh, we're going to fall behind our competitors and we can't have that happen. I noticed on my list of things that Jason, our producer, has given me is something that says Safe Child Act. I uh, haven't heard that. Uh, what uh, What's that about? This is a law that my office drafted a couple of years ago that the legislature passed. Again, this was an, a, a unanimous issue. On, on a lot of these criminal justice issues, uh, Don, I want to underscore, it's not Republican versus Democrat. It's public officials protecting the public. And the philosophy of this Safe Child Act is to ensure that children are protected from child sex abusers. And we want to protect them wherever they are, whether they're at summer camp, after school, uh, Boy Scouts, I don't care where they are, or if they're at church or temple or, or mosque, and when they're online, which is where kids spend an increasingly an increasing amount of time. So the law had a number of ways to protect kids. Um, one thing it did was allow people who it, it increased the statute of limitations. This is a technical legal idea. But if in a typical case, if you in, uh, are harmed by somebody, you have to bring a case within a few years. And if you don't bring within a few years, you can't bring it. You're, you've, you've lost out your opportunity. Well, with teenagers who were abused sexually, it can take them years, even decades, until they have processed emotionally what they need in order to hold their wrongdoer accountable in court. So we increased the statute of limitations by seven years. And for anybody who was sexually abused as a child before, it gave them two years to bring an action, no matter how old they are. So it, it was like an opportunity for a 50-year-old who was abused before to, to sue their abuser for the, the harm that they suffered at their hands. And there is a case that's currently being argued where 
the defendant saying you that that's unconstitutional. So I filed a brief arguing, no, yes, in fact, you can bring a case late uh, uh, because of this law that the legislature passed. Uh, very quickly, I see uh, veterans' access to benefits is on the list, and you've got about 20 seconds to tell me about it. Well, the veterans have certain rights to certain benefits based on their status as a veteran, and that applies to their families. Scammers try to steal their money. We're out there trying to educate them about what their rights are and what they need to know to protect themselves. That was almost exactly 20 seconds. You did good work. You 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 might be a, a prospect for the midnight to six shift on our country yeah. and western station. Who knows? Sign me up. Uh, our Sign guest has up. been Josh Stein, the North Carolina Attorney General. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Program has been produced by Jason Conk, and he'll have another guest for us next week on the same group of stations. So the next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.